0: Courtney and her husband were at a higher-risk pregnancy OBGYN appointment, and as the OBGYN was measuring all of their baby's features, they came to the conclusion that they, in fact, did have a baby with 22Q. At the time, this was terrifying for her and her husband because this was a rainbow baby. They had had four miscarriages prior, and they wanted to make sure that baby Jude was going to be okay. This was the beginning of Courtney and Jude's 22Q journey. Hello and welcome to the 22Q podcast. My name is Becky White and today I have my dear friend Courtney on who I met through the 22Q Moms Retreat and over this past retreat we became a little bit closer by being on the planning committee and being roommates at the retreat and i'm just so thrilled for her to share her son jude's story with us today so courtney hello and thank you for being on hi hi thanks for having me i'm so thrilled to have you on because i feel like your son's story he's gone through a lot you guys have gone through a lot so i'm really excited for you to share his journey with us today but to (laughs) share it too Yeah.
1: So introduce yourself. Tell us a little about who you are, where you live and your family. Okay. Uh, I'm Courtney Hayes. I live in Gilbert, Arizona. I have three boys, Jude, who's five, Lane, who's three, and then Morrison, who will be two in January. Um, I've been married for almost 10 years to my husband, Josh. Uh, We met in North Carolina and moved out to Arizona Um, We like to hike and camp and be outside and stay busy. Um, Our boys are really wild and really exhausting. Um, Always an adventure. It's never quiet in the house unless it's bedtime. And even then it's a little bit loud. So um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. (laughs) Yeah. And you're an avid runner. Yes, I am a runner. Uh, I grew up running uh, in sixth grade. Um, I was in this like experimental program called team 2002, where, um, they did like unique field trips and stuff. And one of our field trips was to run a mini marathon in Indianapolis. And so we ran like once a week to train. And then I got it in my head that I wanted to be the first person in my class to finish the half marathon. So, um, I was, and then that kind of sparked a, kind of like a competitive side in me and a love for running. And I've been running ever since.
0: That's incredible. And <laughs> you're a really good runner too. <laughs> not- I'm a
1: good recreational runner. I'm never, I'm not great, but I'm like, I'm good for like a recreational runner. <laughs> I'm not like a pro runner or anything, but um, I, I, I think you're pro runner. My, well, my background, I went to school at Michigan State and I studied psychology. I was always fascinated with that. I worked in social work for a while in North Carolina and then again out here in Arizona. Um, it kind of sucks the life out of you. It's a really, really tough job, um, a lot of really tough things. I guess I stepped out of one of my roles in my jobs when I had um, some miscarriages. It was just really hard to constantly take off work every time I was going through a miscarriage. So I decided to kind of take a break and focus on starting a family and started my own business teaching swim lessons. And I did that full time with triathletes and kids, um, right here in my neighborhood. And I loved that. And then I got pregnant with Jude and, um, was going to continue teaching on. And then when we found out all the issues with the pregnancy, um, I had to stop that. It was just too many doctor's appointments. I was canceling all my swim lessons and then we were relocating to give birth to him. So, um, I really haven't worked since then. So my days just consist of being a stay at home mom, which is the hardest, most challenging job I've ever had um, yeah. it's challenged me in ways I never thought possible.
0: <laughs> right. You say you don't have a job, but you have yeah. the <laughs> hardest job on the planet times three. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah,
1: I feel like, you know, transitioning to three kids wasn't that big of a deal, but now that that third one is like active and busy and learning how to be a wild boy from his brothers, it's, I mean, it's just pure chaos though. And then managing Jude's health stuff. It's, I mean, it's, it's a full-time job for sure. I, I don't even see how I could possibly hold a job if I wanted to, but I hope one day I can, I do miss, you know, contributing to the family and having an identity separate from just being a mom but hopefully one day.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. And please, you know, tell us about Jude's journey. When did you find out he had 22q and just start from the beginning, I guess.
1: Um well, so we had tried to start a family and I had four basically back-to-back miscarriages prior to being pregnant with Jude. Um I was basically pregnant for a year and a half straight. Um, They were very complicated miscarriages. They weren't just cut and dry ones. So each one took several months to resolve um, and several interventions to end the the pregnant, not that it was an actual, a viable pregnancy, but to end the pregnancies of non-viable babies. Um, So it was just a really long process. And after the fourth one, we were just like, I can't do this anymore to my body. It was way too much. So we started the process of adopting um, and met with birth mothers, you know, had our books sent out. Um, we're in the process of possibly even being considered as a birth or an adoptive family for a little girl. We met with the mother and then, um, I found out I was pregnant. Uh, and then we thought, okay, well we can still adopt, we can adopt and, you know, kind of have like an Irish twin situation. And then we went in for our anatomy scan for Jude. Um, and we had, I guess just, we had stopped trying to have a baby. So it was a surprise. Uh, when I found out I was pregnant with him, I was shocked and I was very scared too. And I was pretty much convinced we were going to miss And so I avoided the doctor for like 12 weeks. I was like, I just don't want to go in because it's not going to change anything. I just don't want to hear more bad news. So finally at 12 weeks, I listened at a home Doppler and I was shocked to find a heartbeat like right away on the home Doppler. So I was like, Oh wow, the baby is still alive in me so I made an appointment with the doctor and things looked great. And so that's when we kind of planned, we're still going to adopt and then still have this baby as well. And then we had our anatomy scan around 17 and a half weeks. And I was incredibly anxious. I just, I felt like we were going to get bad news just because every time we ever went to the OBGYN, it was bad news. And it still feels like just like the cruelest joke that we had this rainbow baby had made it past the stage of, you know, when most miscarriages happen and, um, the anatomy scan looked great, looked great. And then they were like, we need to get more pictures of the heart. And the doctor was like, I don't want to scare you, but, um, the heart I'm having a hard time seeing something in there. It might just be because the baby's too small. Um, but the heart also looks a little too vertical. It's not slanted the way it should be. Um, So she referred us to a fetal cardiologist. And I mean, I was just crushed that day, um, driving home, just a super traumatic time, very dark, dark time in my life. And then we had to wait like two weeks, I think, to get into the fetal cardiologist. And he confirmed there was a heart defect, truncus arteriosus. Then he kind of said, if I, if I was you guys, I'd have this baby at Children's Hospital, Philadelphia, there's a surgeon out there that's perfect. And we said, we'll travel wherever we need to be. We have family out there. So in the, the fog of, you know, processing this heart condition, we relocated two months prior to having Jude and we knew there was a a potential of him having 22 Q. Um, but we didn't do any of the tests. I had one of the early blood tests done and it was negative. Um, the maternity 21 test, um, and then CHOP did ultrasounds every single week. And they would kind of look for features and I'll never forget this one OBGYN called us into the room. And we were kind of thinking he didn't have 22Q based on the blood results and certain things they could see a thymus and things. So they thought it was unlikely he had it. And then this doctor was like, well, I measured his ears and they're in the 10th percentile. He has a small chin. He just started breaking apart the, um, features of this baby inside my body and said I I'm pretty certain he has 22 Q just based on the measurements of all these features on him. And he was just really nasty about it and um just not very empathetic as he delivered the news. And that was another really dark time. Um, but we didn't get it confirmed until he was born a couple of days after. They I saw them doing measurements after he was born on like his nipples and you know it's just the most traumatic thing: seeing them tear apart your baby's features as you're sitting there, and they're looking at everything, at everything that's wrong. And then a doctor accidentally slipped before we were delivered the news and said, "Well, you know, he has 22q," and we no one had told us that yet, that the results had been back yet. And that was another dark time. Like all those times, <laughs> I just remember sitting. It it would take me like a day to kind of pick myself up again. It just kind of pushed me deeper and deeper into a bad place. I was just very scared of the unknown.
0: Well, naturally too, you've had such a difficult time getting pregnant and then you finally get pregnant with Jude and you're already in a dark place because you're thinking this isn't going to happen. And then it, you find out he has a heart defect and then the, the whole delivery is dramatic. Planning up to the delivery is dramatic. I'm sure that was just, I don't know how you did it.
1: It was, it was a lot of trauma that I'm still processing.
0: Yeah. So you found out by having the doctor accidentally tell you guys, yeah, and what happened next?
1: Um, I think I started crying, and then I went to the uh, little sleep room that they give you when you're staying in the hospital inpatient, um, and I just basically shut myself in there and cried for, I think a day. Well, actually, I was exclusively pumping, so I was pumping and cleaning pump parts and doing that while I tried to grieve too, but it was just, just a terrible time. Like looking back, you know, I wish I could have handled it differently, but there was just so much fear with that diagnosis. And it just felt like more bad news on top of more bad news, which had been like basically the way the past two years had gone with the pregnant, all the pregnancies. So um, Mm -hmm. I just was like, what's next now.
0: Right. And when he was born, was he natural or C-section?
1: Uh, natural. Yeah. Natural. It was an induction. And,
0: okay. And were you able to even hold him or was he? Yes. Just, okay.
1: Yeah. Our whole birth plan actually, um, was a bit traumatic as well. We were supposed to give birth at chop, but I had this issue with my platelets. They kept dropping and dropping. And so chop said they weren't comfortable having me deliver there. Um, in case I bled out, they didn't have enough blood product for an adult. Um, but that was in the middle of my induction that they made that decision. So I had already been 24 hours into my induction and they um, transferred me to an adult hospital, which our whole birth plan was for me to give birth at the children's hospital so I could be 15 feet away from Jude. Um, So that changed everything. And I had to process that while while I was in labor um, and being wheeled across to another hospital. And so they moved me to another hospital and it was, it was right next door, but still not as close as I thought it would be. Um, so I gave birth and then um, I got to hold him for about 30 minutes and then they took him away um, in a little box. They packed him up and then I'm just lying there pumping by myself. I sent Josh with to go over to the hospital to be with him. Um, and as soon as I felt ready, I asked for a wheelchair so I could be wheeled over to go see him, but nobody came. So I, um, I had his birth certificate because I needed that to get into the hospital. And I packed that up and I put a robe on like two hours after giving birth and waddled through the streets of Philadelphia in the rain, walking to the children's hospital by myself in my bathrobe and slippers, like, you know, with my big postpartum diaper on, um, to go see him. And that's I'm just like, I just can't believe this is my life right now. (laughs) I was like walking through the shady part of town, freezing sore after giving birth, but nobody was coming to get me. So I decided to walk over there.
0: Courtney, I'm just picturing this and I just, my heart breaks for you. That's awful. So now that you're waddling over to the hospital to see Jude, what happened next? How long was he in the hospital for?
1: Um, he had open heart surgery four days after he was born and he was discharged, I think eight days after that. So we were planning on about a month, but it was actually a quite a quick stay. Um, and then we stayed in Philadelphia. We were staying with family there. Um, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law lived there. So we were living with them in their like media room. So we stayed with them um, for, I think maybe three more weeks after Jude was born, just to do like follow-up appointments. Um, we just booked with like every specialist possible and got to hear all the other things that were wrong with him, which is the most overwhelming thing. I mean, literally every appointment it's like, well, this isn't normal. This isn't normal. Um, so we did that for about a month and then we decided it was time to take him home. So we flew home after that and then had to get established with people out here. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And, Other than the heart surgery, what was the next big hurdle for Jude?
1: Uh, that would be his, uh, soft cleft palate repair that we had done. I think he was 11 months. That surgery was awful. And we actually didn't know he had a soft cleft palate. They did his like, you know, exam when he was first born and I was having incredible feeding challenges with him. I mean it's hard to even put into words how difficult it was to feed him. And I basically had to force feed him for the first couple of years of his life.
0: And when he was feeding after the surgery, did it get better?
1: Uh, He stopped throwing up so much. Um, He still is what is a massive puker. I mean, even to this day, but um, he would, you know, we were trying to introduce solid foods and they said a cleft palate shouldn't make a child puke, but he would eat you know, a mashed pea, and then just vomit everywhere. And I think he didn't like the sensation of stuff going up his nose when he was trying to swallow. And so it triggered this intense gag reflex. Um, and I remember we had OT evaluate him at the children's hospital and they put a half one, a half one of those melty puffs. And I was like, he'll, he'll puke if he eats that. And they were like, no, kids don't puke with these. They melt. And I said, he's going to puke if you give him that. And sure enough, all over, all over their room, you know, he, he vomited. So, um, that got better after the repair and eating got a little better, but it is it, even to this day, eating is a challenge for us. And mm-hmm. I think it always will be, mm-hmm. um, but it did get better. It's, it's inch stones it's slowly
0: gotten better. Right. So would you say that first year of life was the hardest or yeah. has it <laughs> continued to just, showing first up to was things.
1: very hard for multiple reasons i mean processing everything and the heart surgery and the palate surgery and i was exclusively pumping and the feeding issues were were all consuming i mean that was my entire world for the first year it was by far the most isolating lonely hardest year of my life and i've i've had many hard years but that that one was the hardest mm-hmm
0: what made it so isolating?
1: Um, my life revolved around feeding him and I don't think anyone really understood the extent of it. I mean, people would say, Oh yeah, you know, having a baby is, is hard. And, but I've had two typical children since then that have validated that first experience. Like it was not normal in any way, shape or form. It was, it was, so much harder than just a a typical baby. I mean, hard to even put into words, um, uh, Jude's feeding. So he probably didn't enjoy eating until he was probably two years old. Like he never took a sip of milk and enjoyed it. So I had to force feed him or distract him to get him to swallow and eat. Um, and before we use, started using videos to get him to drink, he would cry for the entire 30-minute bottle feed. I mean, scream at the top of his lungs. And the anxiety that I would feel as a new, another feed was approaching, and he never had any hunger cues, but you know, every three hours, I'd have to give him another bottle. And the anxiety I would feel watching the clock tick down to the other feed. And the second the bottle went in his mouth, he would just scream and scream. And we'd have to sing and show him flashing lights and videos. And the only reason he ate is because he'd get distracted and watch something. And then the suck reflux would start. Mm-hmm. Um, and we found out later, maybe one of the reasons why eating was so hard for him, he was diagnosed with EOE, which is, um, an autoimmune disease, of the esophagus, which can cause really painful eating and vomiting and refusal to eat and failure to thrive. And I do believe that was a lot of it but nobody understood that we were dismissed by so many doctors like, oh, kids have sensory issues and kids with heart surgery don't always like to eat an oral aversion, but I knew it was something more. And finally I pushed for a biopsy a couple of years ago and they were able to determine EOE, which is what I had thought it was all along (laughs) was dismissed by it. But, um, I was also exclusively pumping, so that would take 30 minutes to pump the milk. And then I would have to feed him the milk and then I would have, he would vomit. So I would clean that up Then I'd have to give him more milk Mm -hmm. and then I would have to clean the pump parts. And by that point, you know, it was an hour of time where before the next feed, before I had to do it all over again, um, I was just constantly hooked up to a pump for the first year of his life. I remember on my birthday in September, I walked to the mailbox and that was a really big deal to leave the house. go to the mailbox. It felt so freeing. Um, I, I couldn't leave the house. It was like, I was living groundhog day, doing the same thing in and day in and day out, um, trying to get him to eat and grow. And there was maybe two or three people that really intimately understood how hard that time was. Um, no one else really did. So (laughs)
0: I remember seeing you post a picture of you feeding Jude in a jacuzzi or in a pool. Uh Yeah. And I was wondering if you could share just like if other parents are listening and having similar struggles with feeding, what were some of the things that really worked? You had mentioned the flashing, you had mentioned the distracting, what Mm -hmm. else worked when you had to get food in him?
1: Uh, Like warm baths or a a hot tub where he could kind of relax in the warm water. Um, Anything that would relax him, I think there was anxiety from both of us. Every time he ate, he was very scared to eat. It was just painful for multiple reasons. And I was scared because I felt like I was hurting my child every time I was feeding him, but he had to eat. I mean, it was like, we had a doctor tell us early on, you know, if he's not getting his nutrition, that's taking away from his brain health. And that can negatively impact his development, which is terrifying, especially for a kid with a genetic disorder. So there's just so much anxiety. So bathtubs helped. He loved Moana and music. Um, We would put self like movies on our cell phone and just hold it and he would eat. And that was well over into a year of his life. That's the only way he would eat. I never saw him eat for pleasure once. And you said it continued having difficulty
0: eating and tell me other things that have been really challenging for Jude as he's gotten older now. How are you feeling about school? Are you feeling optimistic? Are you feeling, what are you feeling?
1: Uh, I'm nervous. I see what other people post and I feel like I'm always just waiting for the next thing. Um, Overall, so far there hasn't been a lot of issues, but I think that's typical. Those come out later is my understanding. And so I'm just like waiting, like what's it going to be? And are we going to be dealing with ADHD or anxiety? And just knowing what, what is possibly to come, I think is stressful. Um, but in, right now there's not a whole lot of worry. He does really well. He's, he can read and, you know, fine motor skills aren't great, but he can write and his writing numbers and doing basic math and, you know, does, does pretty well. But then other days it's like, the drive is not there. I'm doing homeschool math with him, and some days he's not really into it. But I also he's five, so right. You just don't know. Other kids, you're not looking for what's wrong, but with him, I'm always like, oh, is this a thing? Is this not a thing? It's so hard, and yeah, you miss anything or dismiss anything because early intervention is key. So,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well,
1: it sounds like you're doing
0: all the right things with introducing math to him and keeping him back one more year and just letting him get a little bit bigger and, and get ready. And it's so tricky to know what, what's the right choice. Yeah. And I have no
1: idea. And Arizona schools are not great. So that's intimidating to me as well. i I never thought I would be a homeschool mom. I do not feel like I have the patience for it, but I'm almost wondering if that's the path we'll take. Um, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I guess we'll just see. I'm hoping, things fall in place. And I I know what to do when the time comes.
0: Right. Jude is such a cute little guy. And if you had to use one word to describe him, what would it be? Oh
1: man. I would say empathetic. He just feels really big and really hard about everything. Um, He's wise beyond his years. He just feels really big for other people. He can't stand seeing other people sad and he's just very observant. He picks up on on things and emotions and he doesn't miss a beat. The stuff he says, I'm like, are you is there like an angel on your shoulder telling you to say these things like some of the stuff he says like I think like I'd- what for
0: example like can you give me an example?
1: He had asked me if I had had babies before him and I said, he was the first one, but I had been pregnant, but those babies didn't live. And he was like, did that make you sad? And I said, yeah, I was very sad. And he said, well, when those babies were dying inside you, I was hugging your heart from the inside. Oh my God. (laughs) Which I mean, just like the thought that he thought he was inside me then and was hugging me from the inside because he wasn't born yet was just, he just says stuff that sometimes it just kind of takes my breath away. So, so wise, he's wise behind beyond his ears. He is like the way Mm -hmm. he's my mom's death. I can't think of anything off the top of my head now, but the stuff he said about her and death and you know, what's to come when we die. Um, it's just, he picks up on so much and he's just, he's a very smart little boy.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there any instances where he's taught you something?
1: Oh, he's, I mean, he has taught me so much, just seeing him go through his surgeries and process those, um, because it's a very scary time as for a mother as well. So trying to help him prepare while also preparing myself um, mm-hmm. and, kind of talk through it together, like with his heart surgeries, um, which I was very anxious and scared about. Um, he does really well knowing all the details. Like he asked me what type of knife are they going to cut my chest open with? Can I see a picture of the knife? They're going to cut me open with, which is super hard to hear your child say, and he wanted to sit and watch videos of open heart surgeries to know what they were going to do to him. Um, So to sit there and process that with him and talk through things and looking at stuff that's making me really queasy and watching him process it and hearing his questions that kind of helps me process things as well wow. and prepare myself for doing some really hard things with him, like the surgeries. So he asked to do that. Oh yeah. He, he wanted to see pictures of beating hearts and people's bodies. He wanted to know what a pulmonary valve looked like. Um, <sighs> videos we watched were like medical science videos on hearts and surgeries. And Um, how old is he? He's five. (laughs) I mean, he would look and say, I'm a little bit scared about that, but he he becomes less fearful if he knows what to expect. So he wanted Mm. to know, we knew other friends whose kids had heart surgeries. So Mm -hmm. we looked at videos and pictures of those kids. Um, and I think that's why he did so well. There was no surprises. He knew exactly what was going to happen. So,
0: right. It's, it's almost like he can teach me something and yeah. other adults, you know, yeah. just really making a plan, knowing, yeah. asking the right questions. And it's just amazing that he's five yeah, and asking those questions.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's questions I wouldn't even think to ask, and I wouldn't watch a video of open heart surgery if he hadn't asked to do that, but I think right. it, me. yeah,
0: whatever helps him though, yeah. What has been the biggest struggle for you navigating Jude's 22Q?
1: I think the unknowns of what lies ahead is the hardest thing for me. Um, it's like it's really hard for me to live in, in the moment and appreciate the moment while not fearing what's ahead, and that that's a constant work in progress for me to not think. What's ahead, but it's hard because you know we are we have a big twenty two cute community and we're friends with each other. So I can kind of see what other families are going through that have older children, and I, I'm a planner, so I want to be prepared, and I don't want to drop the ball on something and you know not get him into a specialist that I need to be getting him in with. Um, so I, I think that's the hardest part is just the fear of the future and well, I don't want it to steal my joy of the present. And it definitely does sometimes.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what are some specialists that he's currently seeing that have been really helpful?
1: Yeah. Teaching him emotional regulation and coping skills. There's a woman in the neighborhood, Amy Jolly, who does social emotional awareness. Um, and I just know that 22 Q kids can kind of lack on some social skills and social emotional awareness. So When I saw she was offering those classes, it was actually prior to his heart surgery. I signed him up just to kind of help prepare him, uh, for that and just give him a base. And I knew at the time I thought he was going to be going to kindergarten. So, um, that has, that has helped. He's really good at putting, I mean, he will say that really hurt my feelings or, um, you know, to his brother, you shouldn't say that that's not nice. Um, so he really does have good social, emotional awareness, I think. Um, and I think those classes definitely helped. so. Um,
0: and emotional maturity.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I wow. feel like just in general, kids really seem to be lacking in that these days. I mean, I hear that as a common complaint from teachers all the time is that there's not a lot of social, emotional awareness with the students. And I don't know if it's just because we live in a digital age now and social media and there's not a lot of face-to-face. Um, so I thought those classes would be good for him and they they definitely were.
0: Yeah. And as you know, in the world of 22Q, there are just struggles that maybe our friends and family don't see. Would you mind sharing any that you think off the top of your head, any struggles that your family and friends may not see as a parent of a 22Q kiddo?
1: I think it's just the constant research. Like, I feel like we never sleep. I feel like as a mother, I'm constantly, and it's not an anxiety thing. Like I think some people who don't really understand this life are like, oh, you're just like an overly anxious, worried mother, but you were constantly like, I mean, that's how I figured out his EOE. I'm like, this is not right. He's vomiting, he's gagging, he's choking. So I spent months and months reading articles and joining support groups and asking questions. And it is, it just never, never ends. I feel like we just never sleep. And that's, what's really hard. I kind of try and carve out like an hour where I watch shows at night and shut my brain off because it can be a little too much, but that's how you learn. And unfortunately, I don't think the medical community, I mean, you have to advocate and it is a constant 24 seven job. And I don't think I've had many specialists be like, you know what, you should consider looking into this. And I think it's, it's me going and saying, do you think he has this? and can we test for this? And can we test for that? And all of his diagnoses have been, cause I have asked about something and that's a huge weight to bear. Um, and it's very stressful because I feel like I can't ever die that. I mean, it's just like, who is going to not sleep and research these things when I'm dead and gone? Um, that's, it's a lot, it scares me. Mm-hmm. That's something you and I have talked about
0: before is yeah. that awful thought of when, when we go, who's going to take care of them and who's going to look after them the way we, we do. And
1: yeah.
0: Oh, it's awful.
1: There was multiple reasons why we decided to have kids, but I mean, uh, more kids, but that was one of them is um, we wanted Jude to have a team of supporters and, you know, siblings that cared about him. And obviously it's not an expectation that they care for him, but we hope that they have a close enough relationship that if you know, when we're gone, they can help him through things. Um, but it's, it's stressful. (laughs) Yes.
0: Stressful, sad and real. Yeah. I haven't had anyone on that has shared about a miscarriage and I was just wondering trying, like I've never had a miscarriage, so I can't understand what that's like. I can sympathize as much as possible, but I guess my question is, for anyone listening that has possibly gone through a miscarriage and had a similar experience where they've had a child that has been diagnosed with something else. How did you work through that? How did I don't you think I
1: have, <laughs> I mean, I still feel really angry about it. Like it, it feels like a cruel joke. Like, are you kidding me? I I paid my dues. I, if you're going to give me God, if you're going to give me a child, after all these miscarriages. I mean, it does make me think that there's something going on with my body or my husband's that is just not picked up on. Like we've had every test under the sun, but that was a lot. Four miscarriages is a lot. I mean, two is normal, four is not normal. And then to have this other rare thing of the 22Q, I just sometimes can't believe this is my life. And I know other people have gone through harder experiences than I've gone through, but I just read the book, um, Verity, and um, it's kind of a dark book, but she talked about their family were called chronics, like chronics, bad stuff just happened to them. Um, the, so they called themselves chronics because just bad stuff felt like it just happened. And I, I kind of feel like we're chronics, like stuff just happens. So yeah, I don't think I fully process that. The miscarriages don't sting like they used to. I mean, for a while, that was my whole identity and focus was the loss of those babies. And Mm -hmm. then Jude came along and pushed that pain even further down. Cause then I'm like, Oh, you think miscarriages are hard. Wait till you put your child through open heart surgery. And it kind of took things to another level.
0: Thank you for your honesty. I don't think I'm really helped.
1: I don't think I'm helped. I don't cry about those babies anymore. I mean, it was a really, really dark time. If I let myself really think back, which it's hard for me to go there. But when I think back to those rooms, like getting the news or the procedures I had to have done, I just, I'm like, my poor body, like it went through a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, seven pregnancies in five years, and mm-hmm. uh, it was just a lot on my body. Yeah. And what do you do
0: in order to just keep yourself going? Run. <laughs>
1: That's, that's good. I run. That's my, that is my therapy. It makes me happy. It centers me. Um, it always has from when I was a small child, if I get racing thoughts or anxious, I it just clears my mind. So
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very moving your body.
1: Yeah. Yeah. How difficult
0: was it for you after having your kiddos and not being able to run like right
1: away? I would go on really long walks. I would walk for like four miles with the stroller. um, And it wasn't too bad. I mean, I was in the thick of, you know, recovering and didn't feel great. And, um, but I was definitely counting down the days to use my jogging strollers and take them out.
0: Mm -hmm. What has Jude taught you about yourself?
1: Um, he has taught me that I, I, I can advocate, you know, that I have not really, known how to do that or speak up or I've just kind of been timid with doctors and, um, professionals and, um, he has taught me to question everything in the medical world and don't leave stones unturned, um, research. And when you're tired, just keep going. (laughs) I mean, I like I used to just curl up when I would be tired and take a good nap. And now I've just learned to keep pushing. Um, I, I'm trying to work on resting more, but um, he's definitely made me stronger and more empathetic. Um, he's helped me view the world in a, a different way, especially families dealing with special needs children and the unseen battles that they have. Um, just a world I never would have imagined or I, I knew existed, to be honest.
0: hmm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And over the past few years, have there been any books or anything specific that has helped your 22Q journey?
1: Oh, I, there's not been a lot of time to read. I've been trying to work on that. So I, I don't think I really <laughs> read any books, the The 22Q moms retreats and just, you know, bonding with the mothers and the support groups that's helped me more than anything. I was desperate to not feel so alone and to feel seen and to, um, have a community. And that definitely gave me a community. Mm -hmm. It sure has.
0: Right. But if you could go back in time to you're in the hospital and you just get the diagnosis that Jude has 22 Q and you could go back in time and tell yourself something, what would that thing be?
1: Um, I would say it would be to enjoy your baby, because unfortunately, when you hear everything that's wrong with your child over and over, you miss out on those precious, precious moments that are so fleeting. Um, And I didn't even know I was missing out on those. That was my normal. And then I had two typical children. And I will say I am still grieving all the moments I missed out on with Jude. I didn't see him as my baby boy, I saw him as this like project that I had to fix. And I just, when you are only hearing things that are wrong with your baby, it's hard to look at it. Your child is your beautiful baby. And I will always grieve not viewing him as just my baby boy. Um, it just, having the two other boys was very healing, but very bittersweet because it just showed me all that I missed out on. And I wish I could tell myself to just enjoy those moments, hold him. It's okay. If he doesn't take this bottle and he's screaming, just hold and cuddle him. I never held and cuddled him. I was always cleaning up vomit or trying to push a bottle in him or, you know, doing stretches he needed to have done. It was just, I never cuddled him really. It was, so
0: you were surviving.
1: Yeah, it was a hundred percent survival mode. Um, and those aren't times you can get back. So I, I wish I could have just told myself to take a deep breath. I mean, you can't say it's all going to be okay. Cause you don't know that. I mean, there are 22 cute babies that don't make it and that have really complex issues. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. say you know, it's all going to be okay. Cause you don't know that. I wish I would have savored the moments a little more um, mm-hmm. because really really fast especially when you're rushing around from doctor to doctor and I missed out on a lot with him mm-hmm. and
0: years from now if Jude ever hears this episode what do you want him to remember or know about how you feel about him
1: oh I just want him to <laughs> you on the spot <laughs> <laughs> I just want him to know how proud I am of him um, and how thankful. I am for him. I mean, I, he was meant to be after losing four babies, there was something about him that stuck. Um, and yes, there was some things that didn't go right. And with the heart and everything, but he was meant, meant to be here. He's here for a reason. And I'm just so proud of him and thankful for all that he's taught me. He's helped me be less selfish and more empathetic and, um, he's just made the world a more beautiful place, and I'm very thankful for him. So, I'm thankful he stuck around. I'm thankful that that was the end of my miscarriage story. I'm thankful mm-hmm. that he's here with us. I love it. Thank you. So I'm an open book. So if anyone ever wants to message me, I'm happy to share the stories. I'm sorry if I sounded a little distracted. He he got out probably ten times. I saw him looking over. So. Um, He's be- usually been good about getting to bed, but I apologize. <laughs> I was nope. a little over the place. I was trying to focus while he got
0: out of his bed. It's fine. We're both hitting mute. Well, I'm hitting mute because mine's, <laughs> mine's doing the same thing and saying my name. So,
1: one of these 22Q podcasts without sleep issues. So, I'm like, you know, this is just <laughs> this is the way it is.
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, the sleep issues, never ending. <laughs> Well, Courtney, I love you and thank you so much for sharing Jude with us. Thank you and
1: keep being the amazing mom you are. Thank you. You too. I'm thankful to have you to lean on and help me through this journey.
0: Courtney, thank you for sharing your sweet, sweet boy with us today. He is such a love and he is so lucky to have you as his mom thank you again. And to all of our listeners, if you would like to reach me or ask me questions or possibly be on this podcast, you can get in contact with me through my email at 22qpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with those that you love to help raise awareness and never forget 22q family that you are not alone.